Pod Boys Productions. Yeah, everyone's asking about the Mr. Irrelevant. And what I've got my sight set on is Mr. Irrelevant. When I first got it, you're thinking, man, Mr. Irrelevant. And I don't want to be that guy. Welcome back to Brooklyn Rebound Network feed, Mr.'s Irrelevant, the podcast, or is it Mr.'s Irrelevant slash Movies Are Relevant? It is. If it's your first time listening, this probably sounds like complete gibberish, everything I just said, but it's your boy, Pod Drew. All it means is I'm going to be talking football today, NFL football specifically, Week two of the 2018-19 playoffs, I guess 2019 now. We just had the wild card round. It's the divisional round. Gonna get into all those games and the movies part. Also gonna highlight a film after we're done talking NFL, a film that might have some Oscar contention. And to do that all with me is my boy over there. I call him E-Nam, but how you doing over there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, young. I don't know. I don't have one this week. Young, I don't know. I don't have one this week. Yeah, you put me on this. I was trying to go for some, something about my beloved Dakota Rain Prescott. Mm. Um, all right, well, let me uh, go after what you just said a little bit because, first of all, I didn't put you on the spot. You do this every podcast. You come up with a name. You knew we were going to do a podcast, so I don't really know if that's a good excuse. Also, it's the playoffs right now. It's the worst time to be coming, uh, coming poor in the clutch. I mean, fair, fair. Uh, hopefully, like young Tyrod Taylor, I will turn it on in the fourth quarter and redeem myself. Young Tyrod Taylor? <laughs> what? God damn it. Did I do it again? <laughs> Every one of these people has has played for the Ravens. It's, you it's mean Lamar, young Jackson. Lamar Jackson? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so far, your performance has been like quarter one through three, Lamar. So, yeah, hopefully you, you'll pick it up there. Tyrod Taylor played in the playoffs last year? No, no, they had benched him by that. For, for the Bills... He was on the Ravens, but he never really played for them. He was on there a couple years back up. He never really played until he got to Buffalo, I believe. And then, obviously, know what happened this year when he joined my Browns here. Yeah, for also for any new listener, I'm a Browns fan. Eric over there, young, I don't have it, is a Cowboys fan. So, plenty to talk about with both teams. And we'll start with the Browns because uh, did you see the news uh, with my team today? No, no, I didn't. Well, I won't spend too much time on it because we got to focus playoffs and your Cowboys, but uh, they did hire a new head coach. They decided to stay in-house, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the decision. They uh, elevated Freddie Kitchens to head coach, so for anyone not aware, I guess, he started the season as a quarterback's coach under Hugh Jackson. When Hugh got fired, he was elevated to offensive coordinator. The offense kicked it up several notches, and... Now they've made him the head coach and let go of interim coach Greg Williams. What, what do you think about that? Interesting. So clearly, I mean, your offense was much better under Kitchens than it was under Hugh Jackson. And was that Todd Haley? Todd Haley, yeah. But he got fired the same day as he yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kitchens did well. I don't know that I love the move for every single team in the NFL that needs a new head coach to hire like a young, seemingly innovative offensive mind. Uh, just because that's what's worked for so many other teams. 
I, I don't know. Uh, it could be good. To be fair, it actually hasn't worked that many times. Like, obviously, the main example we always go to is McVeigh on Los Angeles, but some of the other guys, like Gase, was supposed to be like one of those guys didn't work out. He was fired this year. You know, obviously McDaniel's. Yeah, but for some reason, Adam Gase can just pick his next job every time he gets fired. For for the rest of his life, it seems. And talk about another bullet dodge. I saw another report coming out today that said they were they were strongly considering Mike McCarthy, which we mentioned last week, I think, last podcast. But they said they'll only hire him if he retains Kitchens as OC, and he didn't want to do that, so they just hired Kitchens instead, apparently. So I think that was quite a bullet dodge because I'm no McCarthy fan. You know, unfortunately, Todd Bowles got hired by... So Arians got the job in Tampa, and he's bringing his old friend Todd Bowles along, fired from the Jets to be a D coordinator. That's who I, That would have probably been my first choice. But I'm still, you know, as long as they get, like, a more of a seasoned D coordinator in and maybe also hire a guy that's, like, good with clock management and things like that. I have no idea how Kitchens is on those type of things, but, you know, because he, is, he isn't going to be new at the job and everything, I want someone, like... Because I'm presuming we're going to be in the playoffs soon enough. I want to make sure uh don't have these McCarthy situations. Or uh, we'll talk about it. The Bears coach, what's his name? Uh, was screwing things up this weekend as well. That's Nagy? Nagy, yeah, Matt Nagy. So if, if he gets a couple of guys like that, a couple of veteran guys like that uh, to join him, I think we're in good shape. I, I'm pretty happy about the the move. But you're saying, yeah, well, I'm not sure if... Uh, so some other coaches have been hired as well by all these vacancies, I'm not sure if any are in the same mold of, like, the young, the super young, uh... I mean, no one's, like, young, like, McVay is, like, 32 or whatever, but, like, the younger, uh... Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury that the Cardinals hired is, um, pretty young. Okay, and he's... Is he mainly an offensive guy also? I know he's a college guy. Yeah, yeah, he architected... He was the architect, rather, of some of those air raid offenses at Texas Tech. You got a couple of NFL quarterbacks that got brief runs off of that. Wasn't he coming from a California school most recently, though? Or He had just signed with USC after, I think, getting fired at Texas Tech, but he got NFL offers and just took them. Okay, so he, did, he didn't coach USC this past year, or he did? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay, interesting. Black Monday was last week. Now it's, I think, only a couple of the teams that had vacancies still have one. I think the Bengals didn't hire anyone yet. A couple other teams, but, yeah, the Broncos hired Vic Fangio... The yeah, you mentioned Kingsbury. Uh, I mentioned Arians with the Bucks. So Hugh Jackson still there's still possibilities for him, but I don't think so. But anyway, yeah, that that's some around the league type stuff and with my team. But we should get into it before we get into the games this week or coming up this week. What do you think of the wild card round as a whole? We'll put your team aside for a second. Uh, the other three games, nine Cowboys games. What did you think? Uh, I mean, it was kind of a crazy week, right? Like we had every and I don't gamble, but we had every underdog team cover although almost none of them won which is really interesting all the games were pretty exciting up to the end uh i mean granted houston and indy wasn't an interesting game at all yeah that game but you sucked. know two uh two for two though in terms of underdogs of, or technical underdogs at least i think um not just winning in general because every home team was favored at least slightly and two road teams won yeah the houston game was bad they just came out looking utterly flat-footed on really on both sides of the ball but especially on defense and the Colts were hot we were talking about it on the podcast last week I was pretty tempted to pick the Colts then on my football pool where I have to make all the picks I ended up going with the Texans which I was annoyed with of course when I yeah. watched the first 10 minutes of that game I 
it was pretty clear from that point. I mean, the Colts didn't leave their foot on the gas, really, but they let the Texans come back a little bit, but not really. I mean, it was pretty much all lock in the Colts there. But then it was the, the Cowboys game, so we'll skip that for now. Then the ravens Chargers game the next day. I was pretty entertained by it, but mostly because the, Char- you know, the Ravens were playing so bad, and I'm yeah. a Ravens hater. I mean, it was really not an interesting game until the very end. Yeah, I mean, then of co- I mean this is so Chargers, right? They always... It's lessened a little bit this year from the past few years before that, but it still seems like they always have to... You always have to be nervous if you're rooting for them or betting on them, whatever. Like, they always do something to blow it. And then the main difference this year is they actually have a good kicker for once, and we'll, and we'll get all into kickers, but... They actually have a good rookie kicker, which is rare these days, apparently. But they still, like, yeah, they're still letting the Ravens back at the end. But unfortunately for Ravens fans, yeah, and for Jackson, he just couldn't get it together at all until the fourth quarter. Just And nine times out of ten, it's too late at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, it was too late. I was proud of him at some point in the fourth quarter. In For that quarter, he was, I mean, having a zero passer rating up until that point is, is one thing. Um, but during the fourth quarter, he was 10 of 18 for like 182 yards and two touchdowns. He had figured it out by the end. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, the first half especially, he had, I think he had like six yards total. Or they, yeah, he had like six yards of passing offense or something. Ridiculous. Like, two, those, I mean, those two brutal fumbles too. Yeah, he was fumbling. I mean, his, basically his pocket awareness in that game was pretty garbage, especially in the first half. They should have lost. Even the Ravens as a whole should have lost. I think they lost another fumble with the running back. Like they fumbled it more than more times than even shows up on the stats because they didn't. They recovered a couple of them, but they just couldn't take care of the ball at all. And I like the chart. I mean, the Chargers played really well until the very end. I kind of just to get, talk about this week for a second. I, you know, I wouldn't really want to play them right now. I think them. They and the Colts. I mean, they both went on the road and they're both pretty hot right now let's say since i guess yeah i guess it would be possible if they both win this weekend who do, who would you favor the colts uh if the, the colts i guess would be who would play who colts would be at the chargers right so uh for a potential afc championship game who do you think would be the hotter team right now in a five six matchup that's insane possible i don't know but i feel like i would still give the slight edge to the Chargers just because of all the blue chippers in play there like uh all of the blue chip talent at play in Indy is um new other than obviously like Andrew Luck they're they're like younger pieces whereas like Joey Bosa has been around for a while Felipe Rios has been around for a while Melvin Gordon's is like fourth or fifth season Melvin Ingram's been around for a while so probably especially because like they're one of the few teams this year um San Diego they're the San Diego Superchargers. Yeah. Still. One of the few teams this year who has been, like, really good on both sides of the ball, actually. Um, so I'd probably give them the advantage. Yeah, I think I agree with basically everything you said there. I think I would as well. But I, it's an interesting thought, and I really do think, you know, not to spoil my picks for going forward this weekend, but I do think it's pretty possible to happen. But anyway, let's move on. So the probably the, the most exciting or the craziest finish definitely was the... Bears Eagles game right that was the fourth and final wild card matchup. We all know what happened. It ended with uh, Cody Parkey doinking it two times, uh, you know, off several crossbar or you know several bars of the uh, uprights. And after getting successfully iced, I, I gotta say it was probably the first successful icing of a kicker I've seen. It feels like in years, but um, it finally worked. Kind of the only one. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, and like we already kind of alluded to, but Nagy called a pretty bad game clock management wise 
I was pretty surprised personally that Mr. Biscuits himself, and you called it a little bit, he, he, he played pretty well, especially at the end. Like he made a, a couple of really nice passes at the end to put them into field goal range, but it wasn't to be. But it does, it's from my point last week was it just seems like Foles uh, just has it with these guys, and he still really does, apparently. Um, well, I mean, like, Foles, I was right for three quarters. Foles sucked. Chicago's defense is very good, um, so that may have been the issue. But, like, Foles sucked for most of the game. I'm still comfortable if you're going to tell me Nick Foles is the quarterback I'm going to play. And also, we're talking about possible matchups. It still might be the quarterback you play, because we could also have an Eagles at Cowboys NFC Championship. That's on the table still right now. Yeah. How nervous would you be for that one? It would be in Dallas, of course. But you said that they win, and usually those two teams, I think that was the, the opponent you were talking about for the Cowboys, where they both win on the road in, in those matchups usually, right? Yeah, it's damn near impossible to beat the same team three times in the same season, so I'd be a bit worried, actually. I don't know. I feel like that's been proven incorrect in the past, and you're more of the stats guy, but I feel like people always say that, but if you look back, there's a lot of times where division uh, teams play in the playoffs and the, the one that won two games still gets it done in the playoffs anecdotally maybe right but that is a thing people say um i know that we have done it once before to the eagles in recent memory anyway i wouldn't be that scared facing them we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves All right. um i wouldn't be that scared facing them in the nfc championship just because like they don't have an offense nick Foles did suck for most of that game and our our defense is worse than the bears defense but it hasn't been playing significantly worse right I guess not. And then, yeah, but no, well, Foles did get it done when he needed to still, though, with the with the nice drive to take the lead there. Um, but anyway, let's backtrack then back to Saturday, back to your Cowboys, and then we'll get into their matchup this week. But against the Seahawks, you know, we finally got to see what it's like when these two teams play in the playoffs. Never happened before, like we've talked about a lot. Right, right. And it's all good for Cowboys. I mean, Cowboys 1-0 against this team in the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty satisfying. I feel like we owe everything this week to um, Schottenheimer's just, like, wretched play calling, which Seahawks fans have been low-key complaining about. Uh, I would say high-key complaining based on what I've seen on the Yeah, <laughs> we kind of owe everything to his brutally bad play calling. Once they started doing those play-action passes with Russell Wilson rolling out and doing the Russell Wilson thing, we had no answer for it. He was, like, at one point, like, 6-6. Six and six. On, on that kind of play. But the entire game, they were just running directly into the line. And like, granted, so are we. We were just significantly better at it. Yeah, and also, they yeah he they barely let Wilson even do anything. In that game. Even, like, it, late in the fourth quarter, they were still running into the line, I feel like. It was ridiculous. Like, no adjustment at all, basically. It doesn't really make sense. Because, I mean, I guess on one hand, I was even saying last week, like, I like Carson. I think you were downgrading the, the Seahawks' run game a little bit, and I was saying it's, I like it okay, but... And it is what they've been doing a lot this year, working for them. But when it's not working in the game, and this is your season right here, you got to mix it up. Like, I, I really don't know why they wouldn't cut Wilson loose at that point, have him make plays. I mean, we talked about it last week, too. He's gone up directly against Dak. Obviously, they're not playing, you know, offense plays the defense. But looking at these two quarterbacks, yeah, I would want Wilson out there slinging it around, uh, running around, all that stuff. I think he's a better quarterback than Dak, like we talked about a little bit. So, But yeah. D- Dak's the one, uh, Dakota Rain, as you call him, is the one moving on. And he, he made enough plays when he had to in that game. I definitely didn't think he had like a spectacular game or anything like that. But, you know, still the chance to keep going this week and have that game, potentially. 
No, he did have some like highlight reel throws, and then of course that I don't know if that was a sneak or a scramble, but that the it looked like a design QB run right up the gut toward the end that worked out pretty spectacularly. I don't know. Yeah, I I think that was a design. Run. Yeah, I mean I thought he did fine against a pretty good defense. Yeah, I mean the the CX defense was not what they could have been. They had been injured throughout the year and everything, and and the Legion of Boom is long over at this point, but. But they've made enough plays to win. No, but they've rebuilt that defense pretty well in the last two years. Yeah. And also the, I mean, the one kind of X factor was the, the kicking game for Seattle, obviously. Um, Janikowski should certainly retire at this point. I think it's crazy if any team brings him back next year, but yeah, he's no Vinatieri. I mean, this, this guy is uh, <laughs> far from athletic, even for a kicker at this point, almost 40 years old or however old he is, like looking like he's putting down hot dogs on the sideline, coming jogging off. You know, I'm not surprised he, whatever happened to him, he t- tweaked something or whatnot. I think he heard his toe kicking. He could have pulled something also. Really? It looked like, okay, it look, I thought it was some type of more upper leg injury. It looked like he pulled a muscle up there or something. But Somebody on another podcast joked that he pulled his honey-glazed ham. Yeah, that was Cousin Sal. I saw, I follow him on Twitter. I saw that tweet as well, yeah. Yeah, a classic. I saw it on other Twitter, at least. Yeah, that's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, so that affected the game. <laughs> Obviously, they were going for two, and they would have kicked extra points and stuff. And then they had to bring in the kicker at the end of the game, I mean, the punter at the end of the game, to attempt a, that onside kick. And that was probably the worst onside kick attempt I've ever seen. I'm, again, he's not a kicker, so... Yeah, the whole game, my, uh, my friend, the Eagles fan, who is also extremely online... Uh, was talking to me about the prospect of, you know, what if this game ends on a dropkick field goal? Like, how fucking insane would that be? Like, like how upset would you be? And then it ended up en- ending on a dropkick onside kick that went for, like, 40 yards. Yeah, what, it went, like, straight up into the, like, the complete opposite of what you want. It's like a rainbow jump shot. I feel bad for that guy, but you can't really blame him too much, I guess. Ah, uh, yeah, it was just a kind of a weird finish to that one, too. But I did, I, I think, um... I tweeted you, since we're still talking Twitter, that I actually kind of like this Cowboys team, very surprisingly, because I've kind of always, the whole America's team and everything like that, growing up, I never liked the Cowboys. I would pretty much always root against them, just in a vacuum. And with Tony Romo the whole time, I never liked him. I do like him now, actually, you know, funnily enough, but I like his commentary, which I never would have expected, but... But when he was playing, I never rooted for him. This text that I'm sending you right now is actually going to be the address where you're going to meet me and we're going to fight with our hands. But go oh, on. Okay. Well, yeah, that's fine. It's, uh, I- I'm going, I was about to mention something else to you. I'm going to be going even further away from New York where I'm already somewhat far from now. So we'll see about that. But, hey, I'm trying to compliment your team right now. I actually like these ca- this Cowboys team somehow. Like, I was rooting for them there. And I've, I've rooted against the Seahawks a lot, too, so that's fine. But I think I'm going to root for him again this week. I mean, it's probably going to be somewhat down to who I pick and whatnot. But I was watching the, the uh, interview with Zeke and Dak at the end of the game. That's right, when I was thinking, like, I actually kind of like this team. I mean, a lot of it is because of Zeke, I guess, because I do like him, even though he's obviously, obviously has problematic aspects to that. But uh, since he's been at Ohio State, I've always liked him. Like, I, I really enjoy watching him. And, right, right. And I think his personality is just kind of funny. Like, he seems pretty dumb, I would say, but in, like, a funny way. I still remember him when they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they won the championship at Ohio State and they were dropping confetti. He, would like, had his tongue open catching it like it, it was snowflakes and stuff like that. So that, 
that's like when I started to get, get that idea about him. But yeah, I liked, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for a deck too. I don't really know why, but I was thinking about this too. What I kind of think it is like, he does remind me of, of Roethlisberger a little bit, but it's like in a way where I can, like I've always hated Roethlisberger from Jump Street because he's on the Steeler and caused me so much misery and everything, apart from his, right. that he's a douchebag in real life or whatever. But game-wise, like I see a, a deal of similarities between him and Dak. Even on that, what we were saying was probably a designed run, but it might have been a scramble, I don't know. But that from the two or whatever that was, like the touchdown, that was like a very Roethlisberger-style move. I feel like I've seen him do a ton of times. Like, So now it's like a guy like that that I actually can root for, I think. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's nice It's nice to see someone with that unconquerable, like, framed, like the, the white-ass shoulders, like a, like a Cam Newton, uh, like a Roethlisberger character that just, like, when you're rooting for it, if he starts to scramble, you know that there's just, like, an 85% chance that he's just going to truck the guy trying to tackle him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's weird times. Weird times we're living in. I'm rooting for... I'm liking the Cowboys, but let's get into it. Well, before we get into our, our breakdowns of the matchups, so last week you, you were nervous about the game, or you were a pessimistic, really, rather than nervous about the game. What's your optimism slash pessimism level for the Cowboys at Rams matchup. Uh, to employ a bit of magical thinking here, we are going to lose this game because we're the Cowboys and nothing good ever happens to us. That said, uh, as I tweeted you last week during the game, uh, completely worth it. The Amari Cooper trade, the, Hell yeah. the boring, kind of disappointing first half of the season, like, all worth it. I saw the Cowboys win a playoff game against a truly hated, not a nemesis, obviously, but a team that, like, there were some demons to be exercised. Mm-hmm. Well, especially for the fans, yeah. Yeah. Worth it. Worth it. Uh, this team is fun. I'm very interested in them. Um, I like all the new pieces, and uh, can't wait for Jerry Jones to ruin it next year. Okay, but you still have this year remaining. All right, well, we're going to... Oh, to answer your question, yeah, we're definitely going to lose. Okay. Uh, I, I know that, and I am resigned to it, and uh, game day I'll be a lot more depressed and drunk than I am right now, but, but we're going to lose, yeah. Well, it's 8.15 Eastern on Saturday night. Now, I got to tell you some personal stuff. Yiddish, now I'm there. Young, uh, I'll just keep going young spooky since you didn't have a good one this week. And, and that's my, f- you know what, I'm, we're talking about Roma. I'm going back to, to young clavicle. That's probably actually my all-time favorite. That seems right. That seems fair. And I don't believe old clavicle himself will be calling the Saturday night game, but... Because I don't think it's on CBS. But anyway, Young Clavicle, my watching of these games this weekend might be a little spotty because I'm embarking on a road trip starting Friday. It's going to be an epically long road trip out to Los Angeles, California, where I'm moving to. But I'm going down to the south first, though, rather than going out west immediately because I want to check out some of these southern cities I've never been to. Yeah. So Saturday night, I'm actually going to be in Hotlanta, Atlanta. I've heard they actually don't like people saying Hotlanta down. Have you, have you been to that city? Only their airport, actually. I've never, like, spent time so in Atlanta. No, not, not really. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Actually, that, I'll be there Sunday, rather. Saturday, I'm going to be in Nashville, so I'm going to have to watch the Cowboys game there, hopefully. But uh, after, during the week, actually, should be, I believe, a week from today. We're recording this on a Wednesday. I should be in your very home state of Arkansas, or Arkansas, as it's really Why called. are you stopping in Arkansas? Well, I didn't say I was going to stop, but I'm driving through it. Oh, but you'll be there. Okay, okay. I might stop, though. I might, because I'm going, I'm driving from, so after Atlanta, I'm going back up to Memphis, then heading west, 
So mm-hmm. I'm going to go from Memphis to I – I have, like, a room in – like, an Airbnb in Memphis, and I have an Airbnb the next night in OKC, Oklahoma City. So you go – you pretty much have to drive through Arkansas to go between those two places, right? Yeah. So, you know, I might stop for lunch there in Arkansas or something, or, or I might stop. And is there is there anything to see on the way from Memphis to OKC in your home state? There's really nothing that I would call out that, that you would want to see. Um, there are some interesting vistas on the way into Oklahoma on I-40 that you might want to take a look at. Mostly what you're going to want to do is hit me up if you're in Little Rock around lunchtime, I think. Okay, well, I mean, I think that's definitely doable that I would be. Um, yeah, I can... How, how far is it from Memphis to Little Rock? A couple hours? Uh, it's like the two and a half hour drive. All right, so I, I probably will be. I can definitely recommend something. All right, well, this sounds good. I mean, realistically, since I'm going to be on the road here, I don't know if this is possible uh, with your work schedule or even with my recording on the road or anything, but we're in danger of not having a podcast episode next week because of my trip here You know, for the championship games. How crazy would it be, though, if I uh, did a pod live from Arkansas, your home state, uh, like next week? That would be fucking insane. Do you have like a lunch break or something where you could get on for a few minutes or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we could definitely do that. All right. I mean, again, uh, recording uh, equipment-wise, I don't know if it's 100% possible. It should be, though. But yeah, that would be that'd be wild. I'm excited to go to all these states I've never been to. And uh, that's that certainly is one of those. Not for long. Unless, you know, if all goes well. But anyway, let's get to it. Enough of my personal talk here. Uh, the first game is... The Colts at the Chiefs. That's a 4.35 Eastern. Uh, I think 3.30 for me if I'm going to be in Nashville. But Colts at Chiefs. I kind of like the Colts here. E-9, what do you think? Uh, it's hard to say. The Chiefs' defense is so bad, and the Colts are going to have the ball for maybe 63 65% of the game clock um, because their O-line... I was really impressed with their O-line in the uh, Houston game. Houston's defense, that's their whole thing, is getting the quarterback. Uh, they have J.J. Watt, Jadavian, Clowney, at uh, all. And they didn't They didn't have a chance to get to luck. Uh, he had all day to throw. Their run game, I, is that guy's name Mack? Sheldon Mack, the running back? Oh, Marlon Mack, yeah. Their run game was, like, firing. And they're going up against a Chiefs defense now that has none of those pieces uh, that Houston had, and I think it's going to be a real fucking problem for them. The only thing is that, like, I'm not sure, A, if you want to get conspiratorial, the league, but um, B, the universe, uh, is ready for this Chiefs magic to end, although it absolutely could, obviously, but, like, they've had a like like an all-time wonderful offensive season, uh, and that could be enough to keep them in it. I don't... My gut tells me to pick the Chiefs, but the Colts might be for real, and we would find out. Uh, we, we'll be finding out this weekend, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're hot, like we said. Possibly the hottest team uh, Chargers, too, are, but we there's the one game from a couple years ago where the Chiefs blew that one of the... I, it maybe still is the worst... I think it is the worst playoff. Um, they blew the biggest deficit. Wait, what am I trying to say? They had the biggest lead in a playoff game ever to still lose the game, right, against Luck in the Colts maybe four years ago or so what it was. So you have that hanging over your head there, the precedent for it at least. Then what? when would you say, uh, if you had to guess, what year was it the last time the Chiefs won a home playoff game? Oh, God. This makes it sound like it was a while ago. You, you think so? The way I set that up? 
the framing of the question. It was a while ago. Was it the 90s? Was it 1995? It was 1994. Close. That was a guess. I don't remember any teams. No, I don't remember this game either. They're too young. But it was old man Joe Montana in his Chiefs days, where I think he ended his career there, I guess, beating the Steelers. I'm looking it up right now. They come from behind when, before that, they hadn't won a home playoff game since the 70s, and they've really only won, like, three ever in their history. So not a good precedent for winning at home at all for this Chiefs team. They haven't played in a couple weeks since the bye, obviously. I didn't think they ended the season especially well. They played some bad teams that they beat, but they didn't They didn't look as, quite as good as they did the first two-thirds of the year. Yeah. Some of that might be down to the whole Kareem Hunt issue, of course, but... I think it's going to come down to Mahomes, honestly, like how he plays. If he does what he can do, they should be able to hang on and win this one. Otherwise, they're not going to, I don't think. And I'm think I'm leaning kind of strongly to the Colts, I think. Because also, what we've seen so far in the playoffs, and I guess what we see most years, the more experienced quarterback actually usually wins most of these games. Yeah. The, the Cowboys one wasn't the case last week with the Seahawks, but it wasn't as big a game. He's... Dak has been around a couple years. It's not like a rook. Mahomes is practically a rookie, you know, only technically he isn't. And we've seen with other rookie QBs, they've all lost. Even Mr. Biscuits, who played better than I thought, still didn't get the W, so. He did play better than I thought he would. Yeah, so, but but by that logic, I, but that's why I think it comes pretty much down to Mahomes. And even though he's a probable MVP, I don't know if that's enough. It does have all the spots of the playoff cat that just gets strangled unexpectedly, like, and everyone, in, in hindsight, knows we should have seen this coming. Young quarterback, bad defense, franchise has never really had playoff success. Uh, coming up against, you know, like a, a team... Plus Andy Reid as well. Yeah, well, that can't be stressed enough. Andy Reid, and really this weekend, the entire Andy Reid tree. Really bad at clock management. Is the Bears coach an Andy Reid guy? Yeah, Nagy and Peterson were both Andy Reid guys. They showed a whole graphic during the game. Now it makes sense. I missed that graphic, but... All right. So, yeah, if you had to pick, though, would you... You said you were leaning to the Chiefs, even so, but despite all this, or... I'm going to pick the Chiefs, and I'm probably going to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, there is still a thing where I could see, like, the Chiefs just have a huge game offensively, and just, it's like a, a blowout or whatever. Like, it still could happen as well, but just all these other little factors are making me suspicious here. All right, let's get to it. It's kind of the main event here. What the people are waiting for. It's point and agree. I point to you. Uh, you give me the argument for why the Cowboys will definitely win on the road in this divisional game in Los Angeles, where I'm road tripping to, and then I'll see if I agree with your point or not. Go ahead. The Cowboys will definitely win in Los Angeles because, A, number one, it's not a home game for the Rams. The Rams don't have that many fans yet. The the Cowboys fans travel well and bandwagon well. Uh, I mean, the Rams have only been there for two seasons. It's not like... I mean, I guess they get they get kind of a bump above what the Chargers would be because, like, they were as a franchise in uh, Los Angeles before. But, like, that stadium's going to be 65% Cowboys fans. You know that. The Cowboys' offense is doing the things it has to do now. We're relying on our run game. We're freeing Dak up to make plays to our suddenly revitalized receiver group with Amari Cooper out there blowing the top off of defenses and releasing inside for guys like... Whatever that man's name is, uh, the tight end with the egregious, strange name, um, and Rust Cole, time is a flat circle, Beasley. We finally hit the deep ball to Gallup that we've been trying to get all season. 
last week. Like, things are happening at the right time. We've got a great O-line to counter uh, that pass rush with Aaron Donald. And then other than that, the Rams' defense, other than that pass rush, really doesn't have much. Their corners are bad, mostly cast-offs and, and, and aging guys. With the tight end you mentioned, are you talking about Blake Jarwin? Yeah, Blake Jarwin, which someone on Twitter I saw referred to as the most Cowboys tight end name ever. I mean, yeah. And then other on the other side, like their offense has been a total mess since Cooper Cup went out. Clearly Goff's favorite receiver. They can do some things, blowing the top off with Brandon Cooks. Todd Gurley's a bit injured, but will play, which which you, you want to see from them, both as a pass target and as, you know, a warhorse running back. But I mean, their offense has been in flux. They've had some time to prepare. Uh, our defense is going to stop the run. So it's really going to be all on Jerry Goff to, you know, make it happen on offense. And I don't know that this season he's up to that. I'm pretty actually confident in the Cowboys after after saying all this. Yeah, and but even though before before point of degree started, you did say you were pessimistic again. I just know we're gonna lose, but but yeah. Okay, I mean you you definitely that uh, as point of degree goes, that was probably some of the most uh, strong arguments you've had, at least in terms of for the Cowboys uh, against the team. Have those two teams played this year, by the way? I can't remember. No, we did not play the Rams. If we beat the Rams, we will be in a rematch no matter what. We've already beaten the Eagles and the Saints a total of three times. Oh, that's right. That The Saints finally lost to you guys uh, yep. not that long ago. That would be interesting. You know what? I, I'm, I'm, start, I th- I'm kind of agreeing with you here. Uh... This is, could be another week. I mean, this could be another week uh, where I'm liking a lot of the, the uh, road dogs. I don't know. I mean, we'll get to that Saints game. I still like the Saints, but they're going up against the, the full show, which magical uh, thinking or whatever you call it. It's something. Then we're about to talk Chargers here. I, I haven't liked the Pats. Like, this is a lot. Can I go Cowboys again? This is a lot of road teams. But, I mean, the quarterback situation here isn't the Goff and Dak are more, uh, have more similar breadth of experience. I guess Dak's been in the league, what, one year longer? And he's played a lot more, I guess, because Goff didn't play two-thirds of his rookie year, right? Right. Well, and had a just dog-shit Jeff Fisher coaching situation uh, and really wasn't put to good use, yeah, when he did play. But it's not like Dak, it's not like Dak has uh, Vince Lombardi on his, on his sideline either <laughs> with uh, Garrett there. But... Did, uh, on your point, uh, and I agree, you didn't uh, say much about the Cowboys, how the Cowboys have been on the road this year in general, did you? Uh, I guess you did say that they, um, that they have a lot of fans that show up. They travel well, so we knew that, but... I don't actually know off-dome what our road record this season is. I know a lot of the times when I expected us to win a home game, uh, to lose a home game, we won that home game. I don't have any, like, information about uh, road games for you. Okay, well, I'm just trying to think of some other angle on this here. Because I don't really think... I mean, the Rams have been good at home this year. But again, that's just because they've had a good team, probably. I don't know how well they play. But they have probably had their stadium filled up with a lot of opposing fans all year as well. And they're still winning games, so... I don't know how much of an advantage that is. And that's that huge Rose Bowl stadium, right? It, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we always have the refs. And this is for any game, but we always have the refs getting involved. This could be a game I see getting swung by something like that. Because it's going to be close, I think. Yeah, I mean, Cowboys playoff losses usually do. Well, even though I agree with your points, uh, I still can't 
make an official decision yet on this one. It's too, too, too close to call for me. I got to ponder it over in a few more days. So I do think you should be optimistic. You know, I think your optimism should rise somewhat here. But let's get into the other LA team, the Chargers at the Patriots. I already mentioned it, but I'm, I just haven't been huge on the Pats this year. I think this team's very beatable, even though, as usual, they found themselves with a bye and they're at home for this their first playoff game. But this Chargers team's pretty hot, even though there's always potential for them to blow it at the end of games. But I could see the Chargers getting off to another fast start in this one. What do you think? Yeah, the Chargers are going to win this game, right? New England's defense is bad, and the Chargers' offense has, you know, both elements firing. You've got Keenan Allen is uncoverable, and the Patriots certainly have no one who can cover Keenan Allen on, on their own. Melvin Gordon as both, just like I mentioned with Todd Gurley, as both a passing target and a receiving target, rather, and a running back on the ground is just has just been an absolute vision this season. Yeah, there is one issue with that, though, because he did get he did tweak something early in that Ravens game, and even though he came back, he didn't look quite the same, so yeah, that's the one thing. I, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll be back to his form this week. But he might be at like 75-80% at best. Yeah. And then on defense, Ingram and Bosa are going to find ways to get home. Um, Brady will get the ball out of his hands. He's a, he's a grown-up professional. He's been doing this forever. He's very good at it. But he doesn't have anyone to throw to, right? Gordon. Yeah, and we saw in, the, in Brady's career, he, he doesn't get a lot of pressure on him. They protect him pretty well. And when he does get pressure on him, he doesn't play as well. Right, that is the way to beat Brady. Yeah, but he used to not make mistakes hardly ever. This year, he's been making some more mistakes, like especially in that Steelers game where he was throwing some really bad balls under pressure. So could happen again with Bosa and the crew. Yeah, it's it's very possible. Like, I genuinely see the Chargers taking this one. I think so, too. I mean, I re- it really does seem to me like it's going to be that Colts-Chargers matchup. Wow. I don't... I mean, there's always, you know, Belichick finds a way and all that, but I don't think the Pats are it this year. No, they, cer- they certainly don't seem to have it. I wasn't impressed by them all season. You know, I do think I probably would, just preference-wise, I think the Ch- uh, Chargers at Chiefs AFC Championship game would probably be the best-case scenario for a really entertaining game, but Colts at Chargers would be would be too. Probably. I mean, they're going to play. The only thing with the Chargers playing, uh, getting a home game, then is uh, it's in that little stadium. Like, it's just not going to be as fun, but, well, whatever. Eagles at Saints, since you like Foles uh, so much. I'm going to put you back on the clock, and uh, we'll, we'll do point-counterpoint. I'll start by making my point for the, the Saints, and then we'll see what you can come up with for the Eagles here. So for the Saints, you know, the Saints also are, they have for a while been my favorite team in the NFC. You know, I like Drew Brees a lot. I always kind of root for them, so partially it might just be uh, my heart's wanting the Saints to get back to the Super Bowl because also that was one of the best, one of my favorite Super Bowls when they dispatched the hated uh, Peyton Manning and it, and uh, his his man Papa John and all that with uh, the onside kick and all the rest. But the Saints are going to be at home, despite you know maybe being a little rusty from a bye. They do have a good home field advantage. The fans, I think, they're realizing this could be Breeze's last hurrah. They're going to be uh, really jazzed up in the stands on this one, I think. And I think that's uh, you know unlike a Rams or maybe another team. I, I think that's one of the Good home field advantages. I think this is one team that does uh, get get some juice from the fans. Obviously, Breeze plays great at home in the dome here. You know, other than a pretty bad game against my Browns week two, uh, he's 
He's mostly played really well at home this year and put up, put up a ton of offense. Actually, the week one, too, play, I guess they played bad also against the Bucs. But since the early season, they've kind of been the team to beat, which the Cowboys did do, to be fair. But most teams haven't. And I like their uh, pass rush with Cam Jordan. And I like their secondary with basically everyone that went to Ohio State. And so from either side of that, that should do something to clamp down the Eagles there. The offense, yeah, they have two great running backs. They have one of the best wide receivers in the game, possession-wise at least, in Thomas. I don't know. It's going to be tough uh, for this Eagles team to win. But then again, there's magical thinking. There's all kinds of stuff. So why don't you tell me on the counterpoint why I'm wrong and the Eagles actually will win? Yeah, so the Saints coming to this with, uh, as of the Week 18 adjustments, the 7th best offense and the 6th best defense by DVOA. That's going to be a tall order for an Eagles team that barely got by the Bears, who had the best defense, of course. Granted, that sixth best defense has not been playing like it the last several weeks of the season. Like, they really let a lot of teams back into games. They really had a lot of trouble keeping teams from doing exactly what they wanted to, taking other teams out of their game plan uh, in the way that they had been able to do during the run earlier in the season. They started having a lot of trouble with defenses that get at you, uh, that are going to take Alvin Kamara away from you and then then set their sights on Drew Brees, sort of pin their ears back knowing that you're not going to be able to, to run on them. And that also began around, not to toot my own horn, my own team's horn, um, that also began around the time that they lost to the Cowboys in, what was that, like week 10? Was it even that long ago? I mean, maybe it was, yeah. I'll look it up while you're talking. It might have been like week 12. But this home stretch, like their defense had a lot of trouble. That could be exactly what the Eagles need, given that, you know, Nick Foles, uh, who sucks, is their quarterback. They're starting Wendell Smallwood and Darren Sproles at running back. They have no real fantastic option at running back. The Saints' corners are, other than, you know, their top options, they're going to leave people open. So, you know, this might not be the game that Alshon Jeffrey or uh, Golden Tate go off, but you could see, like, a, a pretty good game for Nelson Aguilar or the uncoverable tight end whose name I'm blanking on because I do that. Zach Ertz? Zach Ertz, yeah. This could be a really big inside game day for the Eagles, and that, that could do it, right? Especially if your defense, the Eagles defense, that has been playing pretty well, um, and getting back toward doing thing, the things that they did all last season uh, when they won a goddamn Super Bowl really could give Drew Brees fits. That would be the case. All right, and I looked it up. I'm looking at their schedule right now, uh, or, you know, um, their season games here. It was Week 12 where they beat the Cowboys, or they lost to the Cowboys, rather, 13-10. to 10. The only time Brees got under 30 points this year was that game. The Browns game I mentioned put up 21, and against the Ravens, put up 24. 30-plus points in every other game this season. Not the last week, but he didn't play that one. It was Bridgewater, right? So, I mean, the offense should be cooking. The Eagles are going to have to match that somehow. I mean, with Ertz, I do think that's they could probably exploit the Saints' weak, the weakest part of the Saints' D, which is the linebacking core, but they'll probably put one of the, you know, they, they probably should just put a, someone from the secondary on him. He's more of a receiver anyway. So, yeah, I could see that them exploiting that. That's what they're going to have to do. But really, I really, I only kind of see the Eagles winning this with the just the Foles magic, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. I, this is really the only game I'm confident. I'm 
really confident on this week, I guess. But at the same time, I do sometimes believe in that magical thinking. So I don't know. Not 100%. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If they win this game, I will start to consider that this magic is something more than you have a competent backup and a great coaching staff. I'm going to be watching this, like I mentioned, in Hotlanta and where the Saints are the most hated team, I believe. So that could be interesting if I head out to a bar to watch the game and start rooting for these Saints over there. You think I, that might be a, a bad idea if I do that? It would only be a bad idea if you were wearing Saints yeah, gear. That's true. I don't really have any, but uh, all right. I think I'll be fine. So, yeah, it looks like, like I kind of said, I really do think the road dogs this week and it it was kind of the case last week i mean if things had gone a little bit differently with your cowboys let's say uh janikowski doesn't get hurt let's say the uh schottenheimer gets his head out of his ass and all that stuff they could have won that game and it could have been three road team the first three road teams winning which i think could easily be the, the case this week here but should be some good games i hope i i'm able to watch as much as possible where will you be uh, taking in this saturday night game by the way. In all likelihood, my friends here in Brooklyn that I always watch with will be... Uh, the Eagles fan? Yeah, yeah. Same guy. Eagles fan and then a couple of Pats fans, including my girlfriend. Is a Pats fan? Yeah. So we'll probably all watch that together. Uh, and then probably the same on Sunday. I mean, that'll be a good day for you to, to see the, the Pats and Eagles both get dispatched on, uh, on Sunday. Then. Yeah, I mean, that would be lovely. Uh, I would love that. I mean, of course, after a Cowboys victory Saturday. That, that, then you're living the dream, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all gravy from there, whoever wins, as long as those two are out. Just sitting with a beer in hand and a smile on your face and maybe some Mexican food? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no. That was a real stretch, but I truly could not come up with a better segue. But we got to get into movies, our relevant portion of the show today. Last week we uh, talked the favorite, which was a um, or which is a big contender for some awards this year. The Golden Globes happened the other day. I saw I looked at, up the uh, you know who won all of those, and I saw that Olivia Coleman got the W there, well deserved um, for playing Queen Anne there in that film. Also a hell of a speech. Okay, I didn't see her speech. What what was the highlights of that? Um, she was just, like, real gruff and zany and, like... Now, gruff and zany are not two words I hear together too often. <laughs> it was a really... I, I, I'm out of other adjectives. At one point, she, uh, she said that the award, al- award also belonged to Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, who are, in her words, forever my bitches. Okay. Uh, she had to get bleeped on national television. Uh, it oh, was, that's cool. It was, like, a really fun speech. So she was getting real English with it then. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, also, though, I saw that Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director for the film we're going to talk about right now, Roma, streaming on Netflix. So any, pretty much that means anyone can watch it. I know technically not every person has Netflix, but you can get someone's password or what you get your grandma's password, whatever. At this point, everyone is, is closer than six degrees to a Netflix password. Oh, much closer. Yeah. But, I yeah. mean, the big Netflix streaming movie, I guess, of the past month is this Bird Box thing, which I haven't watched that, but that's been getting all the Netflix memes and attention, but Roma's on there available, and it's, uh, you know, I'm sure Quran's going to be up for Best Director at the Oscars. The film itself will maybe up for Best Film, so I don't know if there is a, I mean, because it also has the, I think it won on Golden Globe's Best 
foreign film and it wasn't up for best film or what whatever but that's a weird award show anyway because it is a foreign film it could not be yeah but up for best i don't know if that's the case for the oscars though it is not so if it is nominated it will be nominated for best picture all right so it'll almost certainly be be nominated then so broad strokes i watched the film a little bit over a week ago you watched it right just more recently so you it's probably a little fresher to you what was your overall thoughts or at least how, how did you like it overall yeah, I was really hoping you were going to go first. I, I I mean, I can, but... I can I can go, and then you can kind of pull us back. Point and agree on Roma. Yeah, I've heard a lot of very tender thoughts about it, and I've heard a lot of, like, thoughts about it that are not so tender regarding the class politics of the movie. And basically, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's character is... Or Alfonso Cuaron is basically one of the kids in the in the movie, like... This is oh yeah, I was gonna bring that up. In like his real life, like this this character, the maid. That the movie at times seems to speak for, and at times seems to just have like as a cipher character that everything is happening to. Some of the class politics and the the deigning to speak for her situation, people have not liked. As far as yes, Alfonso Cuarón is a great director. His cinematographers are great. A lot of the shots in this movie were beautifully constructed. The you know visual themes, the the airplanes going back and forth, the the marching band, everything. It was a really obviously great movie, and a lot of people, including myself, have some very tender feelings toward it. I do want to throw a little cold water on the whole situation, though. Like, it's a really tough hang. I am... Really? I think I probably, by no one who knows me, estimation could be considered a Philistine. But, like, I didn't enjoy watching this movie, this two-and-a-half-almost-hour movie... Uh, that is in black and white in a language where, like, I have to be looking constantly, reading the subtitles, and dividing my attention between those subtitles and these shots that I know, like, important things are happening, and it's, well, like, very, like, beautifully constructed, whatever. I mean, it was just, like, a really tough watch. You can't consider yourself a snooty film fan, uh, a, a lover of cinema, if you don't like a long black and white movie with subtitles, Eric. Come on. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, maybe... Maybe I was the real Philistine all along. I'm joking, of course, but I'm of two minds on it a little bit. On one hand, yeah, I don't know how much I would go back to this one because it is so long, the main reason. But I didn't consider it really a tough hang. Like, I was pretty engaged the whole time. And a lot of that is down to the cinematography and the framing and everything. Yeah, because that's what you have to engage with, like... Almost nothing happens over the course of two two hours and like twenty minutes. Yeah, well, it's slice of life. It's it's definitely a you know slice of life or whatever the fancier term is for that. It was a, probably a little bit inspired by you know who's like the famous Italian uh, director from the sixties. You know, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on this now. Uh, Fellini. Fellini and some of his other contemporaries. It had a, some somewhat of a vibe like that to me. Part of that also might be down to the you know the time period it was 1970 right so that's when those those contemporary directors were making movies like set in the time now this movie's back when i'm assuming right when Quran's a child i do agree with you i think it was based on he, he was one of the kids on in the film yeah so i guess he grew up like well off or whatever is that what we're to understand then yeah his family had this like really really loving relationship with this hard luck woman that like was their living made okay it, i did think it was interesting to make it from it was a little more interesting at least than it could have been, been to make it from her perspective and part of that is because it shows the different classes and everything too but you know the there's been a lot of like coming of age type films about kids and i mean when we were talking about a serious man a couple of podcasts ago i guess i was saying I, i'd prefer it to be from the kids in that respect but 
Yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of arguing the opposite point now, I guess. But I don't know. It was a little more interesting to me that way. The kids themselves were kind of... That's why it is kind of interesting that he... Since it is kind of like a personal story for him, the kids were kind of interchangeable to me, it seemed like. I couldn't really get a character from... There's four kids, right? One's a girl, but I couldn't really get a strong characterization from any of them, really. Like, did you? I mean... No, no, I really, I really couldn't distinguish them either. It was mainly, I mean, the the mom character is, has the most to do, I guess, in terms of what are, what's classically like movie character. You know, like things happen to her. She, things happen to the maid too, the main the the protagonist. But like of of the more the more kind of dramatic movie acting things are down to the mom character, right? Yeah, a lot of the beats of the story touch the mom character more than more than even the. Uh... So I guess that would make sense if that's if that's supposed to be like his mom or whatever Quran, but right, those beats kind of also have the feeling of like one of those British nineteenth century novels or even eighteenth century novels like Elizabethan works, uh, or like something that's happening around World War Two, where like or or Mad Men even, where like historical events are happening just off screen. Mm-hmm. A lot of like the the maid living through the big beats of this like family's life gave me a little of that yeah i agree with that and but some things did happen on screen too like the whole i don't know exactly what the conflict is but there was riots and whatever and the army's coming in beating people up but then her oh i stopped the movie to read all about that conflict it is interesting okay is there a name for it? like well how would i look that up or on wikipedia or whatever um i used the date and uh student rebe- rebellion it's called like night of the falcons or, or something night of the hawks mexico city 1970 or whatever yeah, okay yeah basically there was a student uh there was a student revolution and then a new president got in who who appeased them and then like the reforms that they wanted they weren't getting so they started demonstrating again and they used this paramilitary group that um her, her boyfriend Femi was actually a part of is as we see in the movie yeah yeah, he's the main, I guess, antagonist, obviously, if they, if they really had that in this movie, but... Yeah, they're basically trained by the CIA to put down labor rebellions. Yeah, it was... I mean, at the time when he came in, when they're shopping for the... What, she goes with the grandma to shop for a crib, or, and she's very pregnant, uh, with his kid, and then he, he ends up coming in there. That was one part where I was a little bit like, all right, that's a little convenient or whatever, right, but... Yeah, of course. That's one of the only parts I really felt like that during the film, though. And there was some... I mean, I I will say I've never seen a scene before with just a guy naked in a hotel room doing karate or whatever. Or if I have, I don't remember it. So that that was probably one of the more interesting scenes in the film. It was certainly a striking visual. Yeah. And so he obviously ends up being a complete scumbag. But it was interesting, too. Uh, There was one part where she when she goes to try to find him... And he's with, like, a, a huge group of people doing this. I'm calling it karate, but I think it's it's some type of martial arts. I don't remember what, but there's a guy there saying, you know, leading the group. They showed him on TV before, so he's, like, kind of, like, a celebrity or whatever, this guy, right? Yeah. And he does, like, some move that doesn't seem that impressive, but that everyone tries to do it, and they can't do it. And then she does it, like, in the back, and she is able to do it, right? Right. Was there... I, I'm assuming there's supposed to be some type of symbolism there, but I couldn't completely parks what it was yeah i kind of had a i kind of had that shocked or marked down as a kind of just you know like it is demonstrating inner peace obviously this person who like everything in her life is constantly falling apart 
um, she lives a very simple existence otherwise, is really like at peace with herself and just letting these like horrible things happen to her. And that's why she's able to master the, the, the very like calm Zen technique that the guy is trying to teach this group of just like furious young boys who are about to go murder a bunch of student protesters uh, and they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I guess that's, that's a good attempt at least at, uh, at explaining it, what the symbolism might be. And I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's almost certainly horseshit. Like, <laughs> uh, I didn't direct this movie. No, no, I mean, it might be, it might be part part of it. So, like, everything didn't. It wasn't like a complete autobiography or anything, right? He, I assume it was just like it's like more about the time period itself a little bit, like just putting things together and kind of like the vibe, right, of what's going on. It was. I think I. That's part of why I didn't have that much trouble watching it either. I. It, it was kind of hypnotic in a sense to me. Like, even it starts, a part of that's the black and white cinematography too, right? But, like, the way it starts really kind of lulls you in. Like, it shows, like, the uh, sweeping of the floor, the mopping of the floor for a couple of minutes over the credits. And that kind of, like, puts you in that mindset. And, and then, like, the parts where they go from the city to the country and everything like that, when like, on Christmas and everything. Like, I don't know. I don't know if what I just said even makes, follow, follows point A to B. But in my mind, it does, like. You know what I mean? Like kind of the hypnotic nature of things and like the travelogue kind of nature too. Then at the end they go to a beach, right? And something happens there. But yeah. but like it's kind of like showing these different vistas and landscapes and stuff. Also, the um, why I might want to rewatch it someday is one of the main things I notice with the cinematography and the way everything's, you know, the way he puts sets the camera up. There was a ton of scenes in this film where a shitload of stuff is going on in the background, right? Like, almost every time they're outside, it's, like, really wide angles with, like, a bunch of stuff. Almost like a Where's Waldo or something with, like, a ton of, like, people on the back, right? I assume it's something to do with, like, Mexico City, how crowded it is and everything. It's, like, a huge metropolitan area, and they live in the city. But did you notice that, how there was, like, a ton of stuff going on in the background a lot of the time? Yes. I can't remember the painter, but uh, the the guy who paints all those, like... Mm-hmm. pandemonium scenes where like uh, people are walking out of giant demons mouths and then those people are stabbing uh, a turkey for dinner and it, uh, it just like he crams a lot into the frame you think that's a better reference than where's Waldo or a better comparison I don't know if it's a it, it's my <laughs> point of reference yeah no, it's yeah yeah if you could pull the name of that I, I think I do know who you're talking about but but yeah, I would like to look at some of the more of those paintings. But yeah, that was like a positive note to me. I th- I think it was at least like it made the film more. I think that's probably why I thought it was kind of a little bit like a Fellini film or something like that too, give it more life or just kind of like the vibe of like a, a town, even though it's a big city, not a small town. It did have some small town aspects or like like they go to the movie theater a bunch of times, and I guess that's no surprise that Coran would put stuff like that in that's like his whole life and inf- influence the movies, right? But like anytime they're outside of like the movie theater and that whole square, there's a ton of people around, but it does still kind of feel like a little town or whatever where people know each other, you know? And I think his friend, the one kid's friend, like sees their, their dad uh, with another woman or whatever. And he doesn't like, in that one scene, like, so even the dad is still hanging around, even though the kids don't know it, like everyone does like know each other, right? Like in this area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That for a while... I didn't really understand about like what the what the father was doing partly because like even though the perspective character is ostensibly what is her name Sophie no Sophie's the mom oh the main character is uh Cleo yeah the maid she had like some longer name but they're calling her Cleo 
yeah, being ostensibly the main character, like, it did feel to me like a lot of our perspective was actually coming from, like, the children, like, Alfonso Coron himself, the character that stands in for him, their perspective, kind of. Because, uh, like, I didn't understand what was happening with the father for the first, like, three or four scenes. And maybe that's because I'm, like, dumb or just, like, was having trouble, like, looking and reading at the same time, like I said. I don't really, um, I, I wouldn't agree with that point. I, she was somewhat of a cipher, but, um, the main, the protagonist, but I definitely felt like it was from her perspective the whole time. Look, what happened with the dad was, like, I mean, we saw what happened. Like, he comes home, you could tell he's not, he's gone a lot on work or whatever, then the mom yells at the at her because like I'm not picking up the dog shit or whatever because he said something about that and he's leaving again. And the mom's mad about that, so like you could tell from that setup that they have a bad relationship. And then yeah, I guess you're right there. And then you see the mom clearly lying to the kids about what where their dad is. Like I don't think it was that. I, I didn't really have any trouble with that. I, I definitely thought it was from Cleo's perspective at least. That's fair, I guess. More so than from the kids. And I I, I mean the actress was pretty good. Like she. It was a naturalistic performance at the very least. Um, I think because it was Slice of Life, yeah, you're not... Like I already mentioned about the mom, she had like the big set pieces of like... Yeah. Well, Cleo's performance was so understated. Yelling at Cleo or yelling at the dad or being mad at the, at her husband. Yeah, driving home drunk, all that stuff. Like she had all those big scenes, but, uh, but then Cleo had the more of like what real life really is. Like you just sitting around sometime, or you're just like hang out with your friend, going on a date, or sitting watching a guy do naked karate, you know? I don't know. Like, it, it was just, like, a lot of times she wasn't saying anything, but there's not really anything to say, necessarily. It is, a, like, a simple life. I don't know. I, the more I'm talking about it now, I, I, think I, I think I really did like, this, like the film a lot. I liked it. Uh, I don't mean to say by my, my earlier critiques that I did not like it. it. It is a tougher hang than, like, most people are, are saying. Okay. In my opinion. In your opinion, yeah. Uh, the painter that I was thinking of, by the way, his name is Hieronymus Bosch. Oh, yes. I've, I've heard that his name referenced a lot. And he's the one. Okay, yeah. I ought to look up some more of his stuff. Also, I'm looking up the... I just pulled up the, you know, the cast list here for Roma. Apparently, there's someone... One of the listings is Latin Lover as Professor Zovac. I assume that was the celebrity guy, right, that we already talked about. Professor Zovac, the guy on TV. Yeah, Professor Zobek is the guy who pulls the car with his head and then teaches the yeah. but the mo- black ops force. <laughs> the more curious aspect to me is why the actor's name is Latin Lover. Uh, oh, apparently he's a Mexican Mexican luchador. So I guess he's it's like the rock or whatever, I guess. That's why he's critical. Oh, okay. All right, that makes a little more sense. Still still strange. And the uh, Cleo, yeah, her name is Cleo Daguerria Gutierrez, played by Yelitsa Aparicio. I'm not sure if... She- She's done a lot of Mexican cinema, or... It felt like she was, like, a newer kind of actress type of thing, but I don't know. Yeah, um, he went out of his way to cast, like, a relative unknown and uh, okay. purposely cast um, someone with, like, indigenous Mexican heritage. Yeah, yeah, that, that all makes sense. And then, yeah, about the movie stuff, yeah, I'm kind of looking over the plot of the film again here on, on this, but... Yeah, the one movie they go to is called Marooned, I guess. It seemed like, is that, like... Direct, because he obviously directed Gravity, right? Is that like, is that like a movie he saw as a kid that made him want to make a space movie? I, I get the sense that's the case, right? Yeah, that's what I took away from that too. Um, I mean, obviously a bit of an Easter egg to itself, but like, maybe like I kind of did think like, oh, maybe Quaron is like showing us a thing that he saw as a child that had a large effect on him, and that's why he wanted to make that stunning. Which Gravity, by the way, the visuals in that movie, whew, 
still. Now, see, that was one where I was... I'm pretty much on that that film is overrated train, I think. I didn't love it or anything. Well, there's hardly any story. Yeah. Which, fine. I mean, there, but there's other films that like more with hardly any story than that one, I guess. But That's fair. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't uh, watched it in a long time either, so... But I, I, I would say I definitely liked this more. But yeah, that, that whole maroon section did feel a little, um, little bit shoehorned in, maybe. I mean, it still worked with the general plot, but that actually was probably one section of the film where it was a little more from the kid's perspective then. Because that's also when they go and they see, and their, their friend sees their dad and that, that whole thing I just mentioned. So yeah, that one, that one was a little more from the kid's perspective, that part, but... Overall, I think it was mostly from Cleo's. Yeah, just some other things like, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to wrap up the conversation here. I like the whole, yeah, the whole aspect of like the city versus the country uh, maids, right? That was like kind of a, an element as well when they go to their friend's house for Christmas and whatever, that whole scene. And then I liked the part where that it's like an older maid that knows her. She's been there before, takes her to like the maid's party or whatever it is, like the locals party, I guess, on New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, and yeah. And then she like doesn't want to drink because she's pregnant and like the woman convinces her to have a drink and then instantly it gets knocked over by a woman dancing and spilled, right? And that was very like, I, I thought that was kind of a, maybe it's somewhat obvious, but I, I thought it was kind of a clever like foreshadowing of how then she has a miscarriage later, you know, like from this, that it's going to be, it's like not going to go well for her in terms of the baby and everything. Yeah, for sure. That scene also precedes the scene where like she goes outside and there's these beautiful visual that she thinks is like, I don't know, fireflies or stardust or something just popping off in the middle of the screen. And then it's a fire. And then it's just a, it is a like a 12 minute scene of people like trying to put out fire and then some dudes just singing i don't know that (laughs) that that's that felt a little up its own ass to me stuff like that that was that part was definitely uh fellini-esque of those type of films yeah yeah this movie was inspired by so yeah i think i think it's definitely the case but yeah i uh i don't know if i would pick i i I wouldn't say if, if it was between this and the favorite for best picture or something like that i would I would give it to the favorite, probably. I, I think directing-wise, if it came down to that, I, I might go Quran over what you call him. Uh, Lanthimos. Lanthimos, yeah. I, I did think it was a pretty... Like, you could tell that this is, like, a a professional, like, filmmaker, like, visual guy. I, people already said this about him, obviously. He's one best director before and everything like that. But, like, you could, I could definitely tell that from this film. Like, this is not, like, a type of film that some like new you know like some first time director can make or something yeah he is widely considered a master i think it was down more to the direction than anything else that's making this like more of a standout film apart from the crowd film whereas the favorite was more down to the script performances general conceit of it more so you know yeah and the, the direction which was still good but but yeah is there uh so we'll wrap it up there but yeah, that's going to do it for Movies Are Relevant slash Misters Are Relevant. Good luck to your Cowboys this weekend. I'll be rooting for them, maybe? I might might have to do it. Welcome to hell. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take it that seriously. Don't worry. I still got my Browns and Freddy Kitchens. Uh, but we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Please do subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network if you like these and you're not doing so already. And uh, look out for us in the future here. Peace. Pod Boys Productions.